Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. What we're doing today, we are continuing a series called Running with the Giants, and here is our key scripture verse from it. It's in Hebrews 12.1. It says this, Therefore, which by the way, since this chapter is beginning with that word therefore, it's kind of a continuation of a thought from Hebrews 11, all right? So you need to know what's in Hebrews 11, and Hebrews 11 is just a a conversation about faith and about the giants of the faith, okay? So we've got Moses, we've got Abraham, and it talks about them in chapter 11. So chapter 12 says, therefore, it's continuing that thought. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, those giants of the faith are, are surrounding us. They're kind of standing in the stands as we run our races, and they're cheering us on. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about our life. We're all running a race, and they're all, the heroes of the faith are standing in the, in the crowd, and they're cheering us on. But what we're doing in this series is we're kind of grabbing one of those giants of the faith, and we're pulling them out and letting them run a lap with us. Because I don't know if you've ever run a race before. I have, believe it or not. I actually have. You can look at me and go, oh, sure you have. Yep. I've run one, all right? And let me tell you, it was a lot easier to have somebody run with me who had done it before because they knew what was coming around the bend. They were able to help me. And so we're pulling giants of the faith out of the stands and having them run a lap with us. That's what we're doing today, all right? And so we're listening and asking them, what is one thing from your life? What is one life principle you could share with us that would, that would impact us? And so we, last week we looked at Jacob. This week we're going to look at Jonah. And uh, many of you who know the story of Jonah, anybody familiar with Jonah, the story of Jonah and the fish or Jonah and the whale? Right, all right. <clears throat> many of you would know that Jonah is really not, you're like, really, Aaron, you want to get a life principle from this guy? This is a guy who made a lot of bad choices and messed things up. You, this is the guy? Yeah, to, that's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to focus on him because sometimes those that have messed up the most have the opportunity to teach us the most, right? We can learn from people that have made mistakes. And so Jonah's message today would be for those of us that have made bad choices. And how many of you guys have made a bad choice in your life? Oh, some of you don't, you just don't even, you're like, nope, I'm perfect, Aaron, didn't you know? We're in church, look at all these people, bad choices, bad choices, judge, 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 we're judging you all. We're not judging, let me ask you again, how many people made a bad choice? Come on, show me your hands. All right, good, that's better. We've all made bad choices. Something we can identify with Jonah. You know, we, we, we've made a bad choice, we've done it. Now, one thing I love about, about bad choices is we can learn a lot from them. I don't know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a different kind of guy. I like to read things, and I think that sometimes when you read things, you can kind of realize that there was a bad choice made somewhere along the way, and that's why you're reading it. Like, like if you read labels on products, anybody read labels? Sometimes you read them, and, and you get the ingredients, but then sometimes it's like a product, you know, and, and they have like, hey, hey, this is how you use it, okay? But then you get down to that one little section that's like a warning section. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You get down to that section and you start reading it and you're like, oh, I know why this exists. Because somebody used this product wrong, right? And sometimes you read them and it's like, how did somebody use the product that way? Or how do they get confused? How do we even get there? And, and I think the reason that warning label exists is because somebody made a bad choice, right? Here, check out some of these labels. I've been laughing about these all week. This is a coffee cup. It says, caution, hot. Okay, thanks for that. Avoid pouring on crotch area. Somebody made a bad choice somewhere along the way. They got a hot coffee and thought that was the best use for it. Now, I'm no Frenchman, but I'm pretty sure that's French underneath there. Somebody smarter than me would have to confirm. But I know that's don't pour anything on the ooh-la-la. That's what it says, all right? That's, all right, next. <laughs> this is for an iron-on, like a sticker you put on a shirt, you iron on, all right? It says this activity involves using a hot iron. Only adults should do this activity. Great. Thanks for the warning. Be careful. Cardboard transfer will still be hot. In other words, the thing that peels off. Do not iron while wearing shirt. Sometimes wouldn't you just like to meet the people that did this? 
Who thought it was a good idea to wear a t-shirt, put an iron on, and just stick that right there and just go, this is the best surface for working on this. This is a bad idea. Next. Wash inside out. Remove child before washing. If this was you, please surrender your child immediately. Next. Now, this is for one of those, those Razor scooters, all right? It's kind of blurry. It says, this product moves when used. Just, just next. Is that pretty much self-explanatory? Who's grabbing the wrong end of a chainsaw? This does not seem wise. Go ahead. Caution, do not swallow. This is a hanger from a dry cleaning. Do not swallow. How does that even happen? Next. Okay, this is for a jar of peanuts. Ingredients. 100% peanuts. Warning. Contains peanuts. If you have a peanut allergy, this is not for you. I would have thought that would have been self-explanatory by the label that said peanuts on the front. I just, somebody made a bad choice. That's why it's there. All right, next. Huh. This is for a hair straightener, one of them flat irons. Eye contact warning for straightening ironing. Caution, this product can burn eyes. I, I don't even know how that works. Like, I was looking at my wife's this week. Like, how does that even? Who's doing this? Next. And this is for one of those automatic shower cleaners. And the rest of them are good. But then you get down to the bottom one here. And you realize that somebody thought this would be a good idea to use it as a body wash. Well, it's good for my shower. Let me just stand in here and push the button and get sprayed down. This is not a good idea. I love learning from people's bad choices, don't you? We've all made bad choices. But Jonah would tell us today, when you make bad choices, the number one thing he'd share is that God always gives us a second chance. There's always a second chance available for you. So let's look today at the story of Jonah. And hopefully I'll share it in a way you've never heard it before so you can learn your Bibles a little better. And hopefully by the end of today's message, you'll be encouraged as well. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now let me help you understand the map a little bit. God is sending Jonah to Nineveh, which by, by our understanding of the map, that is northern Iraq, okay? So that's northeast and Jonah is going to Tarshish. He's running away from where God has sent him, and he is going the complete opposite direction because Tarshish is on the coast of Spain. That's southwest. So he's going the complete opposite of the direction God has sent him in. And I think we all kind of understand that. Sometimes we go in the opposite direction. We know God's leading us or calling us or drawing us to do something, and we intentionally go the opposite direction. We have our reasons, but, but we just go the other way. Now, for Jonah, I would tell you that, that in this scenario, it's kind of understandable that he would run the opposite way because God sent him to Nineveh, and Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian people, and the Assyrian people were modern-day terrorists. They would ransack a city. They would rape the women. They would kill people, and whoever was left, they would take them as slaves. These were bad dudes, and God's like, hey, I want you to go to the Assyrians, but not just to the Assyrians. I want you to go to its capital city. And I want you to go preach against them and tell them to repent. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone up to anybody and told them that they were doing wrong, but that's not usually a popular conversation, especially among a group of people who kill and rape and pillage for fun. This is what they do. He was scared. He was terrified. Nope, not going. Not going to happen. So it's, I'm just not, not going to go. And so he runs the other direction. I think we do that oftentimes, don't we? God starts leading us to do something. Whether, whether you're already a Christ follower or not, God starts drawing on your heart to step out, and you're like, no, I don't think so. He wants you to take a step of faith, and you're like, no, I don't think so. He wants you to trust him. You're like, no, I don't think so. Maybe it's something as simple as, as baptism. If you've said yes to Jesus, the first thing he asks you to do is get baptized, and you're like, ooh, baptism, I don't know about that. I have to be up in front of people. That kind of scares me. 
Or maybe it's, hey, God's drawing you in. He says, he wants you to get connected to the local church. I want you to join a group. And you're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know anybody. And relationships have been a bad idea in the past. I'm afraid I'll get hurt if I do it. Maybe God's leading you to, to join and go into growth track and find out what he's got for you. You're like, I don't know. I'm kind of nervous. I don't talk well. Or what if people don't like me? We get scared. What if he calls you to lead? Lead a growth group. And you're like, no, no, I don't have all the answers. I'm afraid. What happens if people ask me questions and I don't know? And I, I, I don't have, I, I just, I, I can't, we're just afraid. We push back on how God is leading us in areas of our life. We go the opposite way. Fear grips us. It polarizes us until we turn and go the other way. And so Jonah is running, just like we do. And the verse continues and says, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. He was headed to Tarshish. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Do you all know that every decision that you make costs something? Every decision you make costs something. A good decision that you make generally costs you something. It costs you some selfishness. You have to lay some things down that you wanted to do to make that good decision. It'll cost, it might cost you some time. It might cost you some money. It'll cost an investment in some way. A good decision usually costs you something, but a bad decision, well, when you make a bad decision, it usually costs other people something. It costs the people around you something. When you are not following after what God has for you, it usually costs people around you something. In Jonah's situation, it is costing these guys that he's on the ship with everything. The ship is getting ready to break up. Their lives are at stake. Their livelihood is at stake. They're already throwing it overboard. Everything that they've worked for, they're throwing it overboard, and they're full-on stressing out and crying out to their gods because they're in a mode of panic. Now, I don't know about you, it's going to cost them their lives. It's going to cost them their livelihood. And if they live through all of this, it's going to cost them some therapy. You know what I'm saying? This is a traumatic experience. And where's Jonah in the middle of all of this? Well, it says, But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Isn't that always the way? The person that's causing the crisis, the person that should be stressed out about it most because it's their life, they're the ones sleeping. They're totally oblivious to the storm in their life. And everybody else is looking at them going, dude, don't you realize what's getting ready to happen? The people in your life that you know are in turmoil, you're like, hey, don't you realize what's going on? How can you not see the danger that's ahead? How can you not see that what you're doing is going to cost you your relationship? How can you not see that it's going to cost you your future? How can you not see it's going to cost you your kids or it's going to cost you your life? How can you not see it? And yet, people are like Jonah. They're running the opposite way. They're asleep in the bottom of the boat. Just chilling. We need to realize that every decision we make is ultimately making us. So are we making decisions that draw us close to God? Or are we making decisions that draw us further away from God? And so in jo Jonah's story, the storm comes, and there's this moment of crisis. Everybody else, else is panicked. But what happens in the middle of that panic is they, they do something, they, they can't figure out why the storm is happening. They're crying out to their gods, and they do something called cast lots. In other words, it, it was like a lottery. They're like, Hey, whoever it lands on, that's the person whose fault it is. So they cast lots. It lands on Jonah. So they, they get Jonah up. This crisis, hear me now, this crisis is what wakes Jonah up to the fact that he's costing these guys their lives. I think we all need that sometimes. And I think in God's grace, he allows a crisis, a storm to come into our lives so he can do one thing, and that is to wake us up so that we can be awoken from our slumber, so that we can realize the imminent danger that is ahead of us, not only for us, but for the other people in our lives. And in his grace, Noah, or Jonah, excuse me, was awakened. And what does Jonah do in this moment of crisis? He does the very first thing that you and I need to do when we make a bad choice, and this is what Jonah would tell us. Take responsibility for your bad choice. This is what Jonah does. 
He owns up to it. They get him up and they say, what did you do? And he's like, yeah, it was me. I'm supposed to be going to Nineveh and I'm headed this direction. It's on me. Pick me. That's it. I did it. It's me. The reason you're all in this mess is because of me. Jonah has an awakening. And I think we all need that at some point in time in our lives. We need to hit rock bottom. We need to hit that point where we wake up and see what's going on. And God in his grace will allow it. He'll allow it. So that we can take the first step towards making it right, and that is to take responsibility for the bad choice that we've made. Jonah 1 verse 12 says, pick me up. This is Jonah. He tells him, this is what you need to do. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Basically, he's saying, I'm going to die. You're going to throw me into the sea. I'm going to die, but everything's going to be okay for you. He says, and it will become calm. Speaking about the sea, he says, I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. That's the first step. When you've made a bad choice, take responsibility like Jonah did. Proverbs 28:13 says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses, there it is, that's the taking the responsibility part. If he confesses and forsakes them, it means goes another way. Don't do it again. I'm sorry, it's me, I won't do it again. He gets another chance. Who here is thankful for another chance today? I know I am. I know I stand here today because I've been given another chance. And Coach John Wooden says this. He says, you are not a failure until you start blaming others for your mistakes. You're not a failure until you start blaming others for your mistakes. That means that when you've made a bad choice, if you'll own it, you have an opportunity for redemption. You may still face the consequences of that action, but you'll at least begin to make it right if you'll take responsibility for it. But if you refuse responsibility and start blaming somebody else, you're on your way to failure. And so Jonah is thrown overboard. And I love watching God's role in the middle of all this because you may think, how could God send the storm? God's grace is in the storm. Because the the storm is what woke him up. The storm is what caused him to take responsibility. God's grace is at work. He sends that. We see that. We see that it wakes him up. We, We get it. But God knew that Jonah would get thrown out of the boat. He knew that. And so what does God do? Well, the scripture says that he had a great fish prepared for him. And that great fish, we call, some of you call it a whale, that fish was right there at the right time to swallow Jonah for the next step in his journey. See, God, in his grace, in his love for you and I, will allow the storm, but he's always prepared for when we're ready to take the next step and take responsibility. God prepared a great fish. And don't miss this. What I'm telling you is that even though we've messed up, Even though we've made mistakes, we've made bad choices, we've headed in the wrong direction, God already knew that we were going to mess up and he's made preparation for us to come back. He's ready to take you and redeem you. He's already got a plan for you in the middle of your mess. This is God's love. Even in rebellion, God is waiting for you with salvation. For Jonah, his salvation was the big fish because it swallowed him whole. Now, maybe you're thinking, if you don't know the end of the story, that that doesn't sound like a good deal to you. Being swallowed by a fish whole, isn't that dead? When you're done, you're in the, 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 you're in the fish, you're dead, right? He's going to digest you and then pass you, right? No, that's not what happened in this story. In this story, Jonah is swallowed by that fish, and he's held in his belly for three days. Some of you are like, that's just a story. That's a story the Jewish people told their kids to terrify them. <laughs> no. No, it's a true story. In fact, Jesus refers to it in the New Testament. He said, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, the Son of Man must be put into the belly of the grave for three days before he'll resurrect. Jesus made reference to it. This is a real story. This really happened. A fish swallowed him whole. Now, for me, I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, I kind of imagine what's going on here. And if you think about what's happening here, there is a fish that has swallowed this dude whole. Now, I imagine, anybody here seen Pinocchio? 
Anybody show me? Okay, so you know the old movie, right? Pinocchio, Geppetto, and Figaro are on a raft, and Monstro swallows them. Like, it's this big fish, right? And you know what I'm saying. Like, there's plenty of other fish in there. They could have fished and, and eaten for days. They've got, I think they even made, like, a little fire on their raft. Look, this is not the kind of fish we're talking about. If this fish swallowed him, I'll bet he was uncomfortable and cramped and stuck in there. Like, Jonah's like this. God, if you get me out of this, I swear I'll never do it again. Like, he's just smushed. This is him. Whatever position that fish took him in, he's stuck. That's how I imagine it. Sorry, that's just what I, I don't think he had time to pace around and sit on a little raft and think about what he had done. I'm sure it was like, you know, your worst nightmare, being buried alive kind of thing, like just, oh dear God, right? Jonah's inside this whale, this fish. And God had prepared the fish for him. He made a plan for him. He knew the crisis was going to come. He knew that he would take responsibility, and he was waiting for him. He was waiting for him to do it. And when he did, he was blessed because the fish swallowed him. And what's awesome about it is that God took that fish, and he shut down its whole digestive system. For three days, Jonah's hanging out in his belly. Nothing happened to him. He didn't get digested. Could you imagine being the fish? That's a tough place to be, isn't it? can't eat anything for three days, your stomach's just upset, you're mad. I'm like, I'm mad like the next, by the next meal about what I had the last meal or maybe the next morning, but three whole days having something just eat at you. Can't pass anything, you can't eat anything, it's just a tough place to be. Some of you are like, Jonah was in a tough place too. He was. But when Jonah got into a tough place, what did he do? He turned to God, and that's the right place. He repented. He turned away from what he was doing, and that's the next thing Jonah would tell you to do. When you made a bad decision, take responsibility, but repent and turn away from the bad choice you made. That's what Jonah does. He goes back to that moment. He says, God, that last thing you told me to do, I'm going to go ahead and do that. He says, if you'll get me out of here. How many of you guys have prayed that prayer before? If you'll just get me out of this, this time, I promise you, I'll never, whatever it is. I'll never do it again, God. Just get me out. He's praying that prayer. He's got three days to think about it. That he prayed it a lot. He repents. And he says in Jonah 2, verse 9, he says, What I have vowed, I will make good. In other words, he made a promise to God, and he said, I'm going to make it good. We need to be like Jonah. When we've made a bad choice, own it, take responsibility for it, and repent. Y'all know what repent means? It, it's kind of a churchy word, but it basically means a 180-degree turn. But not just a turn in any direction, it's a turn towards God's direction. It's a, this is the way I've been going, and I'm going to turn, and I'm now going to go this direction with my life. I'm going to stop doing what I was doing. I'm going to walk the opposite way. Acts 3.19 says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, when you turn away from doing things your own way, those sinful ways, God says a time of refreshing will come. Why? Because you're doing things his way. These are paths of peace. It may not feel like it because maybe it's not as fun, it's not as glamorous or sexy as doing your own thing or what the rest of the world is doing, but it will lead you in paths of peace and life. Bruce Wilkerson says this, that repentance means you change your mind so deeply that it changes you. Repentance is not the I'm sorry. It's not the words that you say. That, that, that's not what repentance is. Repentance is actually going and running the opposite direction. It's taking the way you've been living your life and going the opposite way. That means that when you repent, some of the people in your life may need to change. Some of the places in your life that you visit on a regular basis may need to change. Some of the things that you do may need to change. Everything should change when you repent. There should be a shift in an opposite direction. Not just in your words only, but in the way you live your life. Repentance isn't the I'm sorry. It isn't the forgive me. It is the running the other way. And Jonah turned his heart towards Nineveh. He said, I'll go. You get me out of this, I'll go. I'll make it good. I'll do it. And he turned his heart to where God was telling him to go. When we repent, we have to turn our hearts to where God is leading us. So Jonah, of course, has got to head northeast now. He's got to head up to Nineveh. And that fish 
He gets them headed in the right direction. Jonah's in the belly praying, and the fish is headed that direction. And we know what's really funny about this story? As you read the story, sometimes we just, we just kind of take it for what it is. We go, all right, the fish vomits him up on dry land. You know that? Now, I don't know about you, but fish are not really fond of dry land. That means that this fish had such a distaste, literally, for Jonah that he didn't even want Jonah in the water for any other fish to eat. You know what I'm saying? I, that's kind of opposite of me. I taste something bad. I'm like, this tastes horrible. Try it. Give this a shot. Like, aren't we all that way? This fish is like, nope. He's going on land. I don't want anybody else touching him. And he pukes him there. <laughs> so Jonah repents. So once we take responsibility and we repent, turn the other way, we have to do this. We have to embrace God's grace. I know this is a tough thing to do. And I'm going to help you in a minute, but just hear me out. Jonah 3.1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. There's that second chance. This is God leading Jonah again, saying, look, just embrace my grace. It doesn't matter what you've done before. You've owned it. You've repented. Here's your opportunity again. And the word of the Lord comes to him again. And the word comes by grace. God gives it to you. It's, you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. So I just want to give it to you. It's God's nature. It's part of his unconditional love for us, and we just need to embrace it. Because God sees beyond our bad choices. He still loves you no matter what choice you've made. That's why it's called his unconditional love, because there's nothing you can do that can separate you from his love. Nothing. He loves you, and with his love, he offers you grace and a second chance. We struggle with it because we, we're insecure. Our faith is shaken. Like, no, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I've done these things. I've done too many bad things. I, I, I've done too much to myself. I've hurt too many people. I, I, I can't. I, I can't. We, we get shaken. And despite how we feel, God still gives us another chance. And so what does Jonah do with his second chance? Well, he goes to Nineveh. He embraces God's grace. He pushes past what the enemy would have been saying to him because certainly the enemy was like, you'll never, you can't, how dare you? Don't you know what you just cost those guys? Don't you know what you just did? You were just like five minutes ago running from God. How could you possibly be used by him? How could you possibly go do this? Don't you know what they're going to say about you? Don't you know what people think about you? They're going to call you a hypocrite. And you're just going to have to, you can't do that. You can't show your face there. You can't tell them God loves them. Don't you remember the things you did with them, the parties you went to, the things you put in your veins, the things you dumped down your throat, the things you did in that bed? Don't you know? You can't do that. That's what the enemy's going to tell you. And I can hear Jonah saying, not today, Satan. I'm going to embrace God's grace and I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm just going to receive this. I'm not worthy of it. You're right. But I'm going to receive it. I'm going to take it and I'm going to go. And it's the same for us. You know, God is waiting on you to embrace his grace. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. I say this all the time. He has a plan that despite your mistakes, he's going to take your mess and make it your message. This is what God's going to do. This is what he does. You can be confident in his love because his love is constantly inviting you to a place of restoration. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We need to embrace God's grace. We need to get onto the road where he's leading us. Whatever it is he's put his finger on and told you, say, come on with me. Let's go this way. You need to go. Can I just share something with you? You all know that, that God's not going to bless you past your last act of disobedience. Think about that for a second. You want the blessing of God in your life, yet you don't want to obey. I, I talk with people all, all the time like that. Well, God's not blessing me. Things are going really rough. I'm like, well, did God ask you to do something? Is he leading you in a certain way that you're just kind of shrugging off? Yeah, well, you know, culture says this, the world says this. I'm not really sure that's for me. You know, I know God says it, but I mean, you know, his grace, remember? Yeah. <laughs> his grace is available, but his blessing is tied to your obedience. So let's just write that down. It's good. His blessing is tied to your obedience. His love is unconditional. His grace is available. 
second chance is for you, but his blessing is tied to obedience. You need to embrace God's grace and get to doing what he told you to do. Some of you struggle with that, though. Some of you struggle with embracing God's grace because you think, well, how, how can I? Well, let, let me help you embrace his grace. Don't let your bad choices define you. You are not the choice that you made. Y'all hear me? Some of you that are struggling with this, you are not the bad choice that you made. It was a moment in time, it's past, it's behind you. It's not who you are, but the enemy, the enemy wants to shame you. The enemy not only wants you to know that you've done wrong, he celebrates that, but he wants to shame you, which means paint you bad because you did a bad thing, and you carry that weight. Don't you carry that weight for one second. The only way you need to see yourself is through the eyes of how Jesus sees you. You are not your bad choices. You let Jesus define you. And let me tell you how he sees you. Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. In other words, he doesn't see the bad choices that you have made. He doesn't see the failures that you've had in your life or the mistakes that you've made. He doesn't see any of those. He sees you as a child of God who is loved. In fact, he's already settled all your past, so you might as well just let him deal with it. He hung on a cross and said, It's finished. He paid the price. Doesn't even see it. You're not the mistake that you made. You're not the bad choice that you made. Don't let it define you. And then don't let your bad choice disqualify you. We struggle with this because we think the choices we've made are like, all right, look, because I've done this, I could never be used by God. If that were true, I wouldn't be standing here today. Y'all don't know the mistakes I've made. You see me for this person because I'm up on the stage and underneath the lights and I've got a title named lead pastor and you think I'm perfect. You think I've never made mistakes. My wife is here today. Just have a five-minute conversation with her. She'll tell you. I'm flawed. I got issues, but you got them too. <laughs> that was a uh, cultural reference for any of you that are listening to pop music today. <laughs> and now you'll be singing it. You're welcome. Don't let your bad choices disqualify you. Don't, don't let them write you off. That, that's not the point. God wants to use you. He's, this is the nature of God. He loves you so much. His grace is readily available for you that the mess that you've made, he'll turn it into your message. That's called redemption. It's redemption. It's not a disqualifier. In fact, because you've been in a mess, you now have a message that qualifies you even more to stand here and represent Jesus. I've been through hell, and I'm back. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. Y'all hear me today? Don't let your choices disqualify you. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That word all is really important because it's inclusive. It includes everything. All means all. Good choices, bad choices. God's going to use it all to not only bless you, but be a blessing to other people. Don't let your bad choices disqualify you. Bad choices disqualified you. Look in the Bible. Peter wouldn't be able to be used. Peter was a man who denied Jesus three times in public. And yet he, on the day of Pentecost, stood and preached, and 3,000 people said yes to Jesus that day. Paul, the guy who wrote 12 books of the Bible, used to persecute, murder Christians. He couldn't have been used. But this is the redemptive nature of our God. This is his amazing grace. And we see what Jonah did. He didn't let this disqualify him. He didn't find his identity in his mistakes. It says Jonah 3.3, 3, that Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. We need to embrace God's grace and get to doing what he told us to do. I want to show you a video real quick. Here's an incredible story of a young man who made some bad choices. And his choices cost other people a lot. Some, it cost them everything. And I thought I'd share it with you today because it demonstrates God's grace and his nature, even when we made bad choices. Go ahead and run it. May 10th of 2002, 
It was a Friday afternoon. I'd spent all day with my friends. We came to this bar. One beer had led to another, and next thing you know, the lights in the bar were coming on, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning. I just kind of figured that I would be okay. Went right out to the truck and jumped in. As we went into this curve, the Camaro on my right, it all of a sudden starts to merge into my lane. So I just instinctively jerked the wheel. I never even saw the car that had pulled into the inside lane. When I came to, in the midst of all the airbag smoke and the radiator hissing, glass was everywhere. An officer comes over and he was like, what happened, what happened? He asked me, had I been drinking? I told him that I had. And at that point, the lights are coming on and I'm seeing this car and I'm seeing people frantically working around the car. And I see them actually bring white sheets out and I'm thinking to myself, what's really going on here? And they said, you don't want to be responsible for this. And I said, responsible for what? And that's when he looked at me and he said, there's two girls that are dead in that car over there. To take responsibility for the death of two 20-year-old girls who had their whole life ahead of them, I didn't want to be responsible for it. I didn't know what life from that moment forward would ever offer me ever again. I was a 24-year-old kid facing a minimum of 20 years, and I was scared. They said, you can't look at the families. You know, I said, well, I need to say sorry to them. And they said, you can't say you're sorry. And I said, what do you mean they lost their kids? They lost their daughters. And they said, well, listen, if you want 20 years in prison, then you go out there and you tell them you're sorry. And just go out there and sit at the table and pay attention to the papers on the table or the judge. That's what I did. Here I was in this very dark world, and my mom drops the Bible off, and I'm thinking to myself, it's probably too late for me. And that's when another inmate comes over and he starts talking to me. He said, do you believe in, in God? And I said, well, you know, I believe in God, but I don't really think he wants to have a relationship with me right now. And he said, well, that's where you're wrong. We started reading the word a little bit, and that's when I came across Genesis 50:20. They intended to harm you, but God intended it for good, for what is being accomplished, the saving of many lives. When I first read that scripture, it gave me a lot of hope. The chaplain came by. We went down to a holding cell and I gave my life to Christ. On October 3rd, I was brought back to court for sentencing. Hearing each person come up and talk and address the judge and me, it was heart-wrenching. And then Renee, Megan's mom, had the ability to look over to me and say, I forgive you. Here was this mother who lost her daughter, looking at the guy who took that from her and saying that I forgive you. I was so young in Christ at that point that there was still some doubt. Are you sure, God, that you can still accept me? Are you sure that I can be forgiven? And then she spoke it. I just, I fell apart. I'm really sorry to the families for what I've done. I've caused so much pain. There's nothing I can do. I've asked God to help me. And he has, but that's not going to bring Megan and Lisa back. I wish I could. I would give my life. I would honestly give my life. I wrote him letters, and I made a phone call to Megan's grandmother, and she told me that Renee was there. I knew in my heart that it was my fault. I needed her to hear me say that. And so I told her, I said, Renee, I just want you to know that I take full responsibility for what I did that night. It was what she needed to hear. In August of 2006, we come into this courtroom it was a very brief hearing. It's called a beggar's motion. No law is discussed. You simply beg for mercy. These families had come to a motion on my behalf. You would expect my family to do that, but then the families, Megan and Lisa's parents and brothers and sisters, and aunts and uncles, 
it was like, holy cow, they're supporting that. Even if the judge says no, the blessing's already been given. And the judge came back. He said, on recess, I read something, and it was in Micah 6, 8. O man, what does the Lord require of thee? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. He said, I have never in my life seen anything like this. Mr. Smallridge, these families have come here to try to give you a second chance at life. So I'm gonna run these sentences concurrent. Megan and Lisa, if I could say one thing to them, it would be that they were God's angels being used for a purpose, that their lives are just as magnificent now as they were then, that they are still affecting people's everyday life. Without receiving forgiveness, you can't move forward. There is no hope. If we don't forgive self or receive forgiveness from the things we've done in our past, we have to still accept it from Christ and to know that as long as we turn away from those actions and as long as we walk the walk that is approved in God's eyes, that we are truly forgiven. Isn't that beautiful? How God can take the ashes of such tragedy, paint such a beautiful portrait of grace. Eric served his 11 years in prison, and when he got out, he went to every single family member, and he begged for their forgiveness. Owning it. Repenting. Demonstrating that repentance by living a life. He'd never do it again. And now Eric spends his time traveling with, with Renee, Megan's mother. And they go to schools or anywhere that'll have them, and he speaks out about the dangers of drunk driving. And from one life that was destroyed. He's using it now to save many lives. Unfortunately, it cost him two lives to do that. He repented. He went back to make restitution and is now serving God, and we can do the same. If we're willing to repent, if we're willing to take responsibility, God has a plan and a purpose for us. And Jonah, that's what he would teach us today. That's what he would tell us in this lap as he runs with us. And as we come to the end of that lap, I want to give you just a few encouragements that he would tell you because if you made bad choices, you need to know God's a God of second chance. But once you're on the other side of that, how do you keep from making bad choices? Let me give you just a few keys and then we'll, clo we'll, we'll close out our service and, and baptize some people. First thing you can do to help you safeguard against making bad choices is use God's word to guide you. You know, Scripture is given to us. It's profitable for us in every part of our life, in our relationships, in our finances, in our parenting, in our marriage, and every part of our life. God's Word can be used to guide you. You need look no further than it. It is there to help you. It is our source for all truth and wisdom. Some of you are like, well, I've read that Bible. It's a whole lot of thou shalt nots. Well, yeah, there are a lot of those in there. But if you keep reading, you find that God doesn't give a thou shalt not with a so that you may. He says, hey, listen, you're headed for danger. That thing that you want to do so bad, that thing that's contrary to my best for your life, you're headed towards danger. You're headed towards destruction. And the truth is you'll learn that either now or later. You can follow God's blessing and gain understanding on the backside like years from now, or you can go through it, go your own way and discover the pain that sin brings, the death that sin brings in your life. God's not trying to ruin your fun, your fun. He's like, don't do that so that you can have all of this. It's not all that God's word is about. It produces life. It's not just about the don'ts. You need to trust God's word. You need to let it lead you. Psalms 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. You know, I've thought about that verse a lot. God's word, see, a lot of us, we want to see down the road. We want to know what God has for us, don't we? 
We want him to predict our future, make it clear so that we can take steps of what we think is faith, but that's not faith. God says, my word's a lamp to your feet. Have you ever held a lamp or gone camping? Like it just gives you such a limited view. It basically shows you where your next step is. That's all it does. It doesn't show you down the road. It doesn't light up the path. It makes it clear where you can step safely, and that's what God's word does for you. It makes it clear where you can step safely. One encouragement as you read God's word, don't just be random about it. Be intentional in the way you study God's word. Because I talked to some of you guys, and I'm like, how are you reading? They're like, well, I have this very, very, um, it's sophisticated. Uh, I let God speak to me. I just kind of grab my Bible, and I hold it up like this, and I let it open. And that's where I start reading. Look, let me, let me challenge you to get on a Bible reading plan. Be intentional about how you're reading it. Study God's word. Or you could be like one guy who used the flip open method, and he flipped open to Matthew 27, 7, and it said, Judas went out and hanged himself. And he thought, well, that's not a very good verse. So he, he did it again, and it flipped open to Luke 10, 37, and it said, go and do the same. He thought, I'm going to give it one more shot. And he flips it open again, and it says, John 13, 27, and Jesus said, go and do it quickly. Look, you don't need to be random about how you're studying God's word. Be intentional. There's all kinds of Bible reading plans. I'm on one that gets me through the New Testament twice every year and the Old Testament once. Be intentional. Study God's word. It'll help you for life. It'll guide you. The second thing you can do is ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. Ask him. You know, God gives wisdom freely. People, people ask me, Pastor, how can I be praying for you? And people that ask me that question, they know my standard response is wisdom and guidance because I need that. And I know that's one thing that God gives freely for those who ask demonstrates a position of humility of saying, I need you. I can't do this without you. God is drawn to that. In fact, it says the favor of God is drawn to those who humble themselves. Ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. It's his primary job for you. It's to empower you and give you wisdom. John 16, 13 says, but when the he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Ask him. He's going to help you. We need wisdom from the Holy Spirit, and we need to hear his voice. You say, Aaron, I'm not sure if I'm hearing his voice. So let me tell you, there's a couple ways you can know. First of all, the Holy Spirit's not going to tell you anything that's contrary to God's word. If you're hearing something that tells you to do something opposite of what God's word says, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's bad pizza, all right? Second thing you can ask is, are my choices God-honoring? Is this choice I'm about to make, is it God-honoring? Is this what the Holy Spirit would have me do? Because the Holy Spirit would have you live a life that's God-honoring. It means, what does God's word say, and let's do that. You're going to ask, how will this affect my spiritual health? Is what I'm doing drawing me closer to God? Are the relationships I have, the relationships I'm pursuing, are they drawing me closer to God or are they taking me away? Are the things that I'm doing drawing me closer to God? Are the activities I'm involved with drawing me closer to God? Are the shows that I watch drawing me closer to God? You're going to ask, how will this decision affect the people closest to you? You know, the people that, when you make a decision, like if the Holy Spirit's leading you, you feel like you've asked him for wisdom and, and you're following it, you're like, well, how will this affect the people around me? Are they going to be blessed by the decision that I've made? Are they going to be joyful about it? Will they be thankful? Or will they be filled with sorrow over what I've decided? Will they sigh in exhaustion? Holy Spirit for wisdom. He'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. So you can check God's word. You can ask for wisdom from the Holy Spirit. And you can seek godly counsel. You want to not make many bad choices? Find somebody who's wiser than you. Somebody that has been walking this life of faith longer than you. Link arms with them. Share with them your decisions. Share with them what's going on. Share with them your brokenness. Share with them your deepest fears. Because I guarantee you what somebody who's been walking in the faith longer than you is going to do is going to point you back to God's word. They're going to pray with you. They're going to encourage you. Seek godly counsel. Why? Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. That's how you keep from making bad choices. Look at God's word. Ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. Seek godly counsel. 
But we're all going to make bad choices. And this is the final thing I'm going to say and we're going to pray. When you do, because it's not an if, it's when. God's a God of second chances. Amen. Let's pray. Father, today I know there's so many in here that would say I can identify with Jonah. That I've made bad choices and we need help with that. Some of us right now are in the middle of the storm that we've caused because of our bad choices. People around us are being affected. We may be oblivious. If we are, Lord, I pray that, that in the middle of that storm we would wake up. And I pray that when we realize the condition and the state of our life, Lord, that we would we would take responsibility for it. We would be so bold that though we fear the consequences, we're willing to accept them. And Lord, as we accept those, as we take responsibility, help us to repent and turn away from the way we've been doing it towards your ways. And I don't mean walking, I mean full on running towards you so that we can be just like the prodigal son who return home to the Father, and the Father runs to him and embraces him. And that embrace of grace would restore us, God. That we would accept the second chance that you would give us and boldly embrace your grace. As we continue to pray, I know there are people here today that this is your second chance. You've been in a church service like this before. You've heard God tugging at your heart and drawing you into relationship with him, and you've said, no, thank you. I fear what my friends will say. You've disqualified yourself and said, I could never because of what I've done. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know how bad I am? But I'm here to tell you today that God's not concerned with any of that. In fact, he's already settled your past. If you'll just let him, he'll deal with it. He doesn't care. He loves you and wants you. He wants all of you today. And if you're ready, you can commit your life to him. You can ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. That means he's in charge. That means you're not going to be perfect, but you're going to progress towards him. And if you're ready to make that commitment today, I'm going to pray a prayer. And you'd say, Aaron, this is my second chance, or maybe it's your first chance, or maybe it's your 10th chance, or your 100th chance. I'm not sure, but today I know one thing. This is your chance to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to pray that prayer, and if you want to be counted on that prayer, there's nobody looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you up here and make you talk. This is just an invitation into God's love and his restoration. If you're ready to take that step of faith, would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me? Would you just slip your hand up? Yeah, thank you. His hands all over the place. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray this prayer. Church, can we pray this together so nobody's praying by themselves? Jesus, thank you for a second chance. Forgive me today. Give me a brand new start. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.